It's November 28th, 2018. Welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. First, we'll hear from, hear from digital media expert Sri Srinivasan, and he's here to talk to us about uh, his residency over at Shangri-La. And uh, then we'll hear from uh, both, uh, well, hopefully, Kamu Inos and Nigel Rosette. And we'll talk about Aloha Aina and the concept of decolonizing cities. First, we want to get to Sri Srinivasan. He's the uh, resident, I guess, resident expert, uh, digital media sort of uh, resident over at uh, Shangri-La. He's also the uh, chief digital officer of the City of New York and the Metropolitan Museum of Art and teaches over at Columbia University. That's pretty, you know, a lot of cool things. Welcome to the show, Sheree. Thank you. It just means I'm old and I've done a lot of different things. Okay, I'm glad there's one old guy (laughs) in the show. (laughs) And you're not calling me old. Now, you know, first off, I want to say, how did you get involved with Shangri-La? Well, I've been a fan of the work that Conrad Ng, Mm -hmm. who's the director there, has done and so when I was f- closely watching when he got hired here, I thought there was a big statement on the part of the museum to hire Conrad. And they have had for many years a very successful, very intriguing and interesting and compelling program of residents, artists in residence, scholars in residence. So when they approached me and said, would you come and talk about digital and help us think about digital topics, I was delighted to be there and say yes. And of course, it's in Hawaii. So who's going to say no? I've only been to Hawaii for 30 hours once for a conference. Everything uh, is new to me, and I'm excited to be here. Now, when uh, when Shangri-La wrote to me uh, and said, hey, you know, we've got uh, Shri, he's here, and uh, we'd... Uh, It'd be cool to have him on the show. He's one of our residents. I figured, well, you know, he could be around for about a month, and I'll, you know, sort of pick up on what all the things that you'll be you'll be doing over the course of the month. But it turns out that all the things that you're doing is this week. That's right. And there was something on Monday and something on Tuesday, (laughs) and it's Wednesday already. So we, uh, you know, what are some of the things that you actually uh, had scheduled, and and what's coming up? Well, thank you. It's been wonderful, not just for me to experience uh, Shangri-La and. Uh, everything that's happening there, but also to interact with important institutions across Honolulu mm-hmm. and in Oahu. So I, I've been giving talks at the East-West Center and the Hawaii uh, State Art Museum mm-hmm. and also at the Honolulu Museum of Art. And all of this goes to the work that I'm interested in. I'm a technology evangelist and skeptic, and it is possible to be both, and I think it's important to be both. We live in a time where there's so much news about technology that's affecting us. I mean, the fact that you have this show tells you the importance of technology in our lives. It used to be kind of an alien thing, but now it's where we live, work, and breathe is all in and around technology. Mm -hmm. So whatever I can do to help explain to people, but also to learn how people are using it in different places is very special to me. You know, one of the... uh, um workshops that you gave or lectures that you gave mm-hmm. was over at the East-West Center, and it really talked about uh, the the use of social media. And and you covered things like uh, Instagram and Twitter mm-hmm. and Facebook and LinkedIn. And let me tell you, <clears throat> our first show, which was like 10 years ago, our first show was about Twitter. And back then, there was a a, a, a youthful exuberance, a, an innocence, a, a novelty about social media. And, of course, your, your lecture was really good because it, it sort of gave everybody a, a sense that, you know, this is still a valuable tool. But it's, I think it's come a long way. Yeah. 
come a long way in good and bad ways. The innocence is over, right? We now have laid bare all the problems of social media. If you look at what's happened in the world, I think the social media companies don't understand the power mm-hmm. and the problems of social media. Without social media, there would be no Russian trolls, no fake news, and no President Donald J. Trump. The first two may have existed anyway, but they wouldn't have had the power to make the third thing happen, and that's the president who understood social better than the social companies themselves. And we are in the situation we're in today. Even just in breaking news today, we saw the president retweet a uh, follower who basically uh, showed an image of former President uh, Obama and other people from, you know, his who he considers his opponents in jail mm-hmm. behind bars. And that's the world we're living in now where the trolling starts at the White House. Mm-hmm. And that's not something we would have expected 10 years ago when you started Bite Marks mm-hmm. Cafe. And so it's something that we have to understand and we have to hold these companies accountable. And we also have to take responsibility ourselves. I think our, mach- our machines, our screens are hurting us. And I speak as an addict myself of, of my phone. I spend too many hours on the phone and I've seen the damage it does in terms of your, the way these things are designed is to make us addicted. And one of the things that has always been true is people like Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, discouraged their own children from having their, the technology that they made. But today's tech leaders are absolutely against this technology for their own children. The ones who know it best are hiding it from their kids. It would be as if Henry Ford said, no cars for my kids, of course, up to an age. But then there was a lot of regulations and things that made the car safer. Of course, so many people die every year on the car because of the automobile. But we have found ways to tame it, to understand it. We're nowhere near that with technology. Well, you know, when the uh, when the internet uh, was uh, sort of first introduced to the the general community and it was made commercially available, uh, there was this great hope that the internet would basically eliminate borders and people would be able to connect around the world and it would uh, create a smaller sort of uh, global uh, world. And and I think it, it has done that. But the other thing that the psychologically what the technology has enabled is that you can be the best or the worst on the Internet because you don't have to actually be face-to-face with anybody. You can actually sit behind your screen and be a troll. And that psychological impact that uh, it, the, the, the technology has enabled probably was known – but it was thought that, uh, you know, the, the good will overcome the bad. But I think, you know, we are at a really a tipping point, this balance that needs to be addressed. I, I, you've, you've summarized the situation very well. But I will say that overall, I still remain optimistic because we have seen things like Black Lives Matter, the Me Too movement and other uh, other important social and societal changes come because of in part, social media, mm-hmm. the Arab Spring, things like that. So I, I think overall, social media has done more good than harm. But every day we see the harm that's happening. And it's you're, you're combining kind of unfettered capitalism with technology that kind of goes right inside our brain and affects us. So when you combine those two things, you're going to have problems. So what, what, what kind of advice do you give people who are taking one of your classes mm-hmm. or, or listening to one of your lectures about 
uh, as you encourage them to partake in this technology, what, what, what do you basically advise them to do? Well, one of the things I tell them is be an early tester but late adopter of technology. You don't need to jump on every technology that's coming around, but you need to understand how it works and see if it makes sense for you, for your company, for your lifestyle, for the work you're doing. You don't have to be on every platform, but check out the platforms that make sense to you. Test them out and see what relevance is there in your life for that piece of technology, whether it's social media or anything else. I mean, you remember there were days when even email was new, and Mm -hmm. I used to do radio shows where we would be interviewed about the evils of email and how there were problems with that or the dangers of the web. So I think that's part of the the way technology comes around. There are always going to be problems, but we have to take control. We have to fight back. But overall, we have to understand what the problems are and then go forward. Now, you uh, you know you mentioned the, the, um, digital immigrants versus digital natives. One of the things that I learned early on as a as an early adopter of email was that and learn through uh, experience <clears throat> was that whatever you put in email, make sure that you're okay with that being on the front page of the newspaper. <laughs> so that would at least <laughs> give you some sense of, of uh, uh, how far you want to go with your email. So anyway, that was, that was kind of a rule of thumb. There is something coming up uh, tomorrow that I want you to share, us, uh, share with our listeners on, on what's happening Sure. I'm doing a workshop about uh, how to use social media if you're a creative person. And so we're doing a workshop at 530 tomorrow. I'm very excited. Mm-hmm. And I'm, It's over at uh, Box Jolly. Yes. And uh, it starts at 530. And of course, uh, I, I, I will put the link up on the show notes for later on tonight. Thank you so very much. We'd love can... to see any of your viewer, uh, listeners who, who want to come along. Otherwise, they can find me on Twitter at Sri, S-R-E-E, and I'm on Instagram, SriNet, S-R-E-E-N-E-T. And uh, I'm always happy to answer questions or to hear from any of your listeners. And I do have that link to the uh, that Facebook group yeah. that I will also post up yeah. there if Thank people you. want any advice. So, Sri, thanks for joining us pleasure and thank you very much and of course we'll take a short break and when we return we'll be joined by Nigel Rosetto and he is here and he is going to be talking about Aloha Aina in our cities this is Bite Marks Cafe support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR local talk show fund whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. I would say that there's something here for everyone. I mean, I really do think so. Um, Even for people who are sports or athletic, I mean, there's news here, there's information here. So I think a lot of people are like, what is that? And it's only for people that that like classical music. Um, That's just not been my experience. While I do enjoy classical music, there's so much more here. Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. Now in the studio, I've got uh, Nigel Rosette, and he is a grad student over at the University of Hawaii in the Department of Urban Planning. He's also a research assistant and... You know, I got to uh, take a symposium called Decolonizing Cities, and I, I certainly want to—I was impressed with some of the talks uh, or some of the, uh, the presentation that, that, the, that the Nigel gave, and I want to get into that. But I want to welcome you, Nigel, yeah. to Bite Marks Cafe. Thanks, Bert. Aloha. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited and 
um, excited to share our work. Yeah, so, you know, when um, I first heard about uh, the symposium, it's called Decolonizing Cities, and I thought, wow, that's, pretty, uh, that's a pretty radical title because what does it mean to decolonize a city? Could you maybe give us a little sense as to what that actually means? Um, to me, I think decolonizing cities is an important perspective in understanding why cities look the way they do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what we did in our project is to understand how to move forward and kind of indigenize these spaces and understand what was there before or what kind of systems, if it be farm, fish ponds, kind of things that are part of the aina that have been here, um, created by um, the people who live here, um, what kind of services they provide for the land, and um, try and inventory it and protect those spaces. I guess I guess what I what I'm also trying to get at is in in terms of um, decolonizing or maybe the way urban planners have built mm-hmm. the city that we now live in. Uh, there's a lot of concrete. There's a lot of you know tall buildings. There's a lot of uh, ways that the water would would rush through the you know they say the storm drain system, whereas in in more traditional kinds of of um, uh, let's say environments or whether it's uh, uh, planning for where a lot of people would live there was a more holistic view of how to manage that kind of growth. So mm-hmm. was was the idea of colonization or the decolonizing, was it because of a lot of the, the Western influence of how typically cities were created? Um, I think what we're, I think our project really speaks to this. Um, so if I could introduce our project that we've done for our grad program, um, we worked with a farmer who is in Kalawao, mm-hmm. which is adjacent to the Pearl Ridge Shopping Center. So if you just imagine a very dense concrete urban setting mm-hmm. with a two and a half acre kalo farm, traditional Hawaiian taro patch, um, smack dab in the middle. So he's fed by a, a puna vai or a freshwater spring that comes up from the ground and it feeds his crops, um, supports the kalo, which feeds his community. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this talk of um, decolonizing cities and urban aina, um, I think our project speaks to that well in understanding the goods and services that this type of farm provides for the larger community. So I live in Pearl City and I drive by Pearl mm-hmm. Ridge all the time and all mm-hmm. through my my childhood there has been the um, sort of the the water features of that area, one of which is the the Sumida watercress patch. True. Right? And the watercress farm there has been there as long as I've been around. True. And the um, the um, the uh, Kalolo'i that you're talking about is right behind. It's right behind, yes. So um, what we did for the project or for our class was to try and get all the partners that are um, both um, sharing the ahupua'a. Mm-hmm. So this means... Um, the Pro Ridge Mall that is adjacent, the uh, Pa'iao, local Pa'iao, which is a fish pond down the way, um, the landowner, which is Kamehameha Schools. We engaged all these partners and tried to convene together to see how we could align each other's visions mm-hmm. to support um, 
support these um, traditional practices. Was there was there any uh, point in time where those types of of uh, features were at risk? I think they're at risk right now. I mean, a big thing right now that I'm thinking of is the Red Hill. Um, uh, um, the aquifer and the, uh, the fuel tanks that are true. right over them. So this is kind of threatening the um, the the freshwater the aquifer. Freshwater yeah. aquifer, yeah. right? So, um, but understanding what is around, um, we're able to kind of protect this area mm-hmm. a little better. I mean, like even even the Waikiki as an example, right? I mean, mm-hmm. wasn't that a lot of uh, um, there were a lot of uh, freshwater features there, a lot of springs. Mm-hmm. A lot of springs, a lot of fish ponds. I mean, it doesn't look like the, um, right now we have a lot of hotels. Mm-hmm. Um, traditionally, we would see fish ponds throughout this whole um, this whole coast. Um, so I think this idea of urban aina is really to um, support these practices and these practitioners who are on the land doing the work to um, to provide resources for the, our future generations. Now, you're in the Department of Urban Planning, and, and uh, there's regular curriculum that you're going through. Mm-hmm. Is this a new idea of applying some of these sort of aloha aina concepts to the city? Is that something new that's being introduced to urban planning, or is that something that was has been kind of there for a long while? I would say it's relatively new. I mean, with the influx of of Hawaiians like myself, mm-hmm. we're able to apply our backgrounds and our knowledge systems to this um, discipline. So my background is natural resource and environmental management with a focus in marine science. So learning the planning tools and techniques, we're able to kind of mesh, um, mesh those things in ways that we can um, can help. So, so you're saying that uh, historically, or maybe prior to uh, your involvement or or Kamu's involvement with with urban planning, I mean, it was more of a traditional sort of urban planning curriculum, and and only now come up more recently in the you know like the mid uh, uh, 2010, you know 2018. I mean, now we're sort of getting into applying some of the traditional concepts in urban planning. I would say, yeah, I'd agree. So in terms of, uh, let's say, as an example, your work with uh, the Lo'i in Pearl Ridge, uh, how would you apply any of the concepts now that you're, let's say, studying or learning to that particular Lo'i? And and besides preservation, mm-hmm. what would you be trying to do to make sure that it, you know, it thrives? Hmm. Um, what we learned this semester is the importance of being side-by-side with the people. Um, So what matters for me might not matter to the farmer and the person that we're actually helping. So Anthony Deleuze is the farmer that's on the property every Mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. Um, I have my gifts. Um, The project was done by a class of 12 of us, all ranging um, from anthropology, marine science, um, biology, different disciplines, and we shared our gifts with him. He shared his needs, and we kind of tried to align um, to the needs of the farmer. Um, we came out with a few tools to help him at the end of the semester. Yeah, I want to get into some of those tools, and I, I do want to get into the the sense of the community effort that helped bring everybody together. 
uh, to you know to work on on Lo'i. Want to hold that thought? We'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with Nigel Rosette, and we're talking about Olha Aina and decolonizing cities. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training, Moyer Financial, and Kaiser Permanente. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And, of course, if you're just joining us, uh, we've got uh, Nigel Rosette, and uh, he's in the studio with us talking about Aloha Aina. And, of course, uh, we are also joined by, uh, I'm honored to have you in the studio, <laughs> Kamu, Kamu Inos. Hey, and uh, uh, he's uh, here to, to also kind of chime in on the idea of Aloha Aina in our urban urban uh, development. Yeah. Right before the break, we were kind of talking about, uh, you know, what's happening in in um, the, the lo'i in Pearl Ridge. Right. And we were sort of getting into the... Uh, the ways that that we could bring community into supporting that kind of an effort, right? So, so the uh, so tell me more about you know how does the how does the concept of of, of aloha aina and and bringing the community together to help support something like this in what would be considered a pretty urban place like Pearl Ridge. Well, that's a really good question, and I think one of the many hats I wear is I'm a lecturer at the Department of Urban and Regional Planning, and mm-hmm. for the last three semesters, we've been focusing on that topic. And part of what we, the crux of it is that there's a lot of real opportunity for relearning these things, and part of what the role of planners like Nigel as a planning student and the community partners we work with is to understand, um, you know, traditional practices were actually technologies and they had all these powerful things they did and when we look at them in country like countryside it's like oh well they're that's where they should be but when you put them in a look at them in the middle of an urban place mm-hmm. a really unique thing happens mm-hmm. and you can start to uh, quantify all the services a traditional practices provides an urban community so for this semester when we're working with anthony um anthony um deleuze mm-hmm. and kaunohi farms right behind Purridge shopping center mm-hmm. in sumida watercrest we had a chance to really show, man, it's doing more than just a cultural practice, quote unquote. This is cultural practices were powerful things. So it's actually like Nigel and his peers were able to quantify all of these things, like how is it helping clean water? Um, how is it clear the water is passing through? How is it helping with the estuary restorations, reforestation, native plants? What type of services is it providing in local DOE schools? What type of other services is it providing? And these are services eventually can be billable. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. a really important conversation. Like, how does a community reclaim its traditional practices but do it in a way that makes sense? And work with community, other members of a community around it, they may only understand in one lens. And the role of the planners, the planning students and the planners to help with that translation. And by creating that translation, that actually then translates to a lot of powerful outcomes, Mm -hmm. especially if it was in partnership with the practitioner and the landowner. In this case, it was Kamehameha Schools to co-learn the value of this and then bring community partners in. So it's kind of, we use the term kipuka. 
mm-hmm. and spaces where things that have been kind of paved over mm-hmm. or blown over can actually regenerate. So it's a regenerative place. So I think that in a nutshell is why restoring a traditional practice is an urban place because it becomes kipuka and provides all of these services that Nigel and his peers did a wonderful job in capturing. So in a, you know, in a, let's say a country kind of setting, the community might be a little easier to identify because you know you can identify neighbors and you can identify the the various support uh, systems that are in a a country setting in an urban setting like let's say pro ridge as an example right you got big shopping center over there you got restaurants you got service stations you got one rail going right across and how would you identify that community that would support a a kalo farmer nigel um, I think what we did is we went out into the community and tried to get people on the farm. And I think that's what we're trying to show is that it, there are these traditional places that are still doing these practices and they deserve a lot of support mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because of the things that they're doing. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's native species coming back. There's I.O. flying around. There's Aku'u flying around and revisiting these areas that they're familiar with. Um, so I think bringing back the community of natural life first um, is important in bringing back the people to these areas. And I totally agree. And part of what we find, especially in urban planning, is that you can... What does it urban? What does urban mean? Is it population density, or is it deep connectivity between a group of people? Mm-hmm. And I've, what we find a lot in contemporary urban communities is loneliness. That we hear that a lot. That people, there are guests that came to this conference from ur- like urban spaces that stayed and didn't want to leave because they felt connected. And that's really what cities are comprised of. That we forget is they're comprised of people. Mm-hmm. And people long for a sense of place, and people long for connectivity. And when you have the practitioner there first, it's like, does that movie? If you build it, they will come. Mm-hmm. Field of Dreams mm-hmm. It's like our Field of Dreams, right? If you build, if you restart these places, the water comes back first, and then the the, the kupuna or creatures, the kupuna like that live there, like spiritually, but also physically, like the kuu, all the native hihivai, like those things come back. And they come back with a person who's a kahu or taking care from it. He then convenes the people. When Anthony came, he kind of put it out there and then he attracted folks like us who wanted to help and we help in the ways that we can. Mm-hmm. And it's a natural thing. Humans are acting like kipuka and they're restoring the place. And it's not magic, though it seems magical. It's intentional. It requires planning. It requires resources. It requires a lot of different people. But the beauty of it is that there's nobody that can't help. Mm. If you want to help, and you show up and you can help, and this is a really powerful thing that's happening in Hawaii, in an urban place that has resonance all over, and people are hungering for community, people are hungry for practice. So, uh, you know, I wish we had more time to talk about this, but quickly, you know, in terms of the concept of Aloha Aina, where does, and this is being a tech show, where does technology and the modern intersect with Aloha Aina? especially in urban areas. Well, Nigel did a great job yeah, in creating the app that helped. Well, we created an app to um, more or less help the farmer Kilo better. So Kilo is this um, sense of observing your place. So we worked side by side with him, understanding his needs um, in inventorying and assessing the kalo, the mm-hmm. taro. Um, so we created an app to 
um, identify the moon phase, identify the moisture levels and all the different factors that affected the health and the growth of these systems. So, so Nigel, where can people find out more about uh, the project or the, the work that you're doing? They can find it on the internet if you will link up the um, the website. It's Ho'olahoya Kalawao is the website. Mm-hmm. Okay, sounds good. Well, just send me the link and then I'll put it up on our show notes. Uh, Kamu Inos is with Ma'o Farms and, of course, with the UH Department of Urban Planning. And uh, Nigel Rosette is a also a grad student over at the Department of Urban Planning over at UH Mano. I want to thank you both for joining us today. Thank oh, you so much. for having us. And, of course, uh, thank you for listening to Bite Marsh Cafe. Join us next week when we'll talk about the Ocean Vessel Robot X competition. If you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email me at bitemarks at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. Our engineer is David Chong. And, of course, you can catch us on HPR1 every Wednesday or anytime on the HPR app. You stay awesome, and we'll see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. Three.